money, markets, investments. That's it. Get ready for insights, opinions, and discussions you will not hear at your local bank, on mainstream business television, or from Ivory Tower Advisors. My name is Adrian Harsimiu, and I am the Recovering Bankster. Hello, and welcome back to the Recovering Bankster podcast. This is your pilot and host, Adrian Harsimiu speaking, taking episode number six off from deep within the prairie land of Canada. Welcome back aboard to the Recovering Bankster Ramjet for those returning for more financial soliloquying. If this is your first Recovering Bankster flight, I welcome you and extend my gracias to you for boarding the Odyssey into money, markets, and investments. The allocation of one's time is a matter I don't take lightly, so I really do appreciate your decision to spend some of your time here with me. And to save yourself time in the future, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't need to waste more precious time searching out this channel. It is new, yes, but there is a boatload of greatness in the pipeline so you won't want to miss it. As you'll quickly learn, I'm not a fluffy guy. Absolutely no small talk here. You can talk to your neighbor about the weather if you want. You're not going to talk to me about the weather. Instead, as this episode is about to gain altitude, please grab your drink, put your seat back into the normal position, trays up, and buckle up. As I had predicted in the previous episode, I received listener feedback about my Canadian content, or lack thereof. Thus, for this episode here, I will turn my crosshairs away from the Federal Reserve of the United States of America and instead direct my attention elsewhere, with some Canadiana discussion to boot. I'll start this episode with doing something I never thought I would do. After reading an alarming news piece recently, I feel obliged to come to the defense of the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, or more affectionately known as AIMCO. But that's how I roll when I see bad media press, especially when it comes to matters pertaining to money, markets, and investments. On April 24, 2020, news hit the wires that AIMCO was recently on the receiving end of a $3 billion investment loss. According to the Financial Post, AIMCO to conduct review of volatility strategy linked to reported $3 billion loss, as the heading of the article proclaims. To kick things off, Here's the meek defense from a spokesperson for the Treasury Board and Finance Alberta, trying to set a placating tone on the situation. Quote, We are facing unprecedented times, and these are challenging market conditions for all investors. It's anticipated that all institutional investors will have some tough quarters due to the economic effects of the pandemic. End quote. Yep, what a way to come to the defense of your investment team. Translation, it's okay folks, everyone else is having dreadful investment returns, so it's just fine that our team is too. Let's not bother digging into the weeds of the news, which might unearth some more level-headed thinking instead. Yet this same spokesperson has no compunction in ensuring the voting public is aware that this problem is in no terms to be connected to the current presiding government. Quote, The volatility-based investment program isn't a recent strategy. 
and began well before the current UPC government, end quote. In other words, the strategy that was put in place, which wound up losing $3 billion, is not a strategy that should be pinned on the current government in power, as if that should even matter. Now, I realize that this is deemed to be a big story because, number one, well, it is a $3 billion realized loss, after all. But also, number two, the invested capital is that of Alberta pension and endowment funds. In other words, it's Alberta's future money. As a former chief executive of another pension plan pointed out within the article, it's likely that the investment in question was a highly risky one, mostly like a swap transaction, perhaps even similar to one taken by Dr. Michael Burry of the big short movie fame. At least that's my own inter interpretation. Who knows? What this article fails to sufficiently highlight is the fact that this loss is likely one of many experienced by AIMCO, along with almost every other investment manager in the world. The way the news is reported makes it sound more as if AIMCO invested $3 billion into one position, lost it all, end of story. How dare they take on such risk? Now they're down to $0. Run for the hills! Not so fast. My perspective is that even if it was a risky position to take, especially by a pension and endowment fund, as some opponents will say, it should not be surprising. Every pension fund is expected to attain a certain return to cover annual liabilities, the largest being the pension money payment owing to pensioners. In days gone by, that was of little concern since quality fixed income investments and dividend stocks paid enough regular income to cover most, if not all of those fixed liabilities, without taking outlandish risks. Along came a huge spider by way of central banks, killing any and all hopes of decent steady income when they dropped and suppressed interest rates. With that, all pension funds, including AIMCO in Alberta and CPP for Canada, were forced into taking on more risk, just to make up for the lost income to cover those liabilities. The more money that flowed into the risky positions, the more risk was needed to generate the necessary returns. It's a spiraling and self-actualizing problem. So understand that before jumping on your anti-investment bullhorn. It's a reality every investment professional faces, no matter the size of portfolio. And on that matter, let's look at proportions. As of the end of December 2019, AIMCO was managing approximately $119 billion. Ignoring the returns of any other investment positions on the books, this loss of $3 billion amounts to somewhere in the neighborhood of around 2.5%. Again, nothing to get all worked up about without seeing the entire portfolio's performance, as well as understanding the context of the investment. Yet again, it's more media posturing, trying to put a negative spin on the world of investing without providing context and reasoning for the loss, in this case. That's why you're on this trek, dear listener. Nothing short of hard-hitting truth and mental splinter removing you. Moving along, I wish to read a section of an opinion piece published in the Financial Post on April 22, 2020. I must thank one of my long-term supporters for bringing this article to my attention. 
It sparks joy in me knowing that there are people out there listening with whom my message is resonating, and thus they are stepping up to the plate to provide me with more verbal ammunition. Now, I'm not a big fan of reading long passages in these episodes, but there's no avoiding it here. I think it's worth the effort, as it's encouraging to know there are still some lights of true capitalism left in our country, meaning the fight for true capitalism is worth it, right to the end. But anyways, here's the excerpt. Quote, Don't believe we're doubling down on a nanny state? Look around. Already there are calls for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, to become a universal basic income. Taxes of all kinds will go up. Strategic industries may be nationalized or protected. Governments will demand ideological fealty. The application for the Canada Emergency Business Account, CBA, requires businesses to pledge their compliance with politically loaded requirements to qualify for state support. We have embraced the idea that the role of government is to protect us not just from viruses, but from the vicissitudes of life. Societies dominated by state bureaucracies forget where prosperity comes from. Policymakers talk of restarting the economy as though the economy has switches and controls. But markets are more like ecosystems than machines. Like ecosystems, markets are not tangible things. The farmer's market in the town square is not what economists mean when they use the word market. Markets are not places, goods, or people. Markets are, rather, merely patterns of transactions. A hunter kills a deer. A woodworker makes a set of chairs. The hunter already has meat for the winter, and the woodworker already has chairs in her house. The result? A trade. Trades constitute markets. Usually we buy and sell with money, of course, but the idea is the same. End quote. Yes, I took some small parts out, as a means only to shorten the clip, not to hide anything. You're welcome to see the entire opinion piece, which I have linked in the episode notes page of www.recoveringbangster.com. I feel compelled to bring up such gems hidden in the media rough because they are rare and far between, especially in a mainstream financial media littered with adulterated versions of capitalism. As I mentioned before, and will continue to harp on, it is these degraded forms of capitalism that are being attacked by socialism. When socialists attack the word capitalism, they attack a version of capitalism they themselves created, not the actual uncorrupted version. It's one of my professional missions to defend the tenets of laissez-faire capitalism while drawing back the curtain on what is pitched and attacked as capitalism. Carrying on, as if in a call of action to the financial mainstream media, CNBC interviewed billionaire investor Leon Cooperman, who proceeded to list the 10 ways the coronavirus will impact society. Firstly, it is my belief that CNBC does not interview people who do not toe their line, in one form or another. I've seen a number of guests taken off their list of people to interview because these guests have views that do not line up with those of CNBC. In any case, what was Mr. Cooperman's number one impact of the coronavirus? Quote, 
Capitalism is altered due to the impacts on economies from the viral outbreak, end quote. And then his next impact on the list, quote, Politics in the U.S. are moving more to the left. Taxes will have to go up, end quote. So capitalism is being altered to socialism? Is that what you mean, Leon? If so, then just say it loud and clear. Take your position and proudly stand by it. And don't forget to donate all of your wealth to the state. Was it not capitalism that earned you that wealth? And so the majority continue their run to the nanny state, yelling, Anyways, before wrapping up this episode, I wish to share another theme that has been popping up in the media, including some of the articles I've referenced in today's episode. And the matter pertains to the actions of the Oracle from Omaha, or actually the lack of action. As many may recall, Warren Buffett and his Berkshire Hathaway Fortress were actively involved as white knight heroes of financial crises past. The most recent example in the memories of many people is his involvement in solving the great financial crisis of 2007 to 2009. Having built a fortress balance sheet at Berkshire Hathaway enabled him to eject much needed cash into Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. Bank of America alone received $5 billion invested. But worry not, for Warren profited at a cool $16 billion from that deal in a span of about seven years. That's an easy 320% return on that one investment made to solve the financial day. In annualized compound terms, that's almost 23% per year for the life of the investment. Then there's also the long-term capital management hedge fund crisis back in 1998, also known as the LTCM crisis. The short of it was that a hedge fund with about $126 billion in assets under management was teetering on the verge of collapse, threatening to take some of the banks who felt they were very smart having invested in LTCM down for the count as well. While in the end Warren did not play a part in saving the system at that juncture, he did make an offer for LTCM, the hedge fund, in an attempt to make another investment and presumably profit handsomely from it. Warren Buffett and his sidekick, Charlie Munger, are investors, so who's to fault them for trying to make a profit from an investment? Is that not your goal too when you invest? As a note on why Warren didn't wind up making the LTCM investment, get this, he blames it on Bill Gates. Buffett is quoted as having said, quote, Bill Gates cost me about $3 billion, end quote. One can assume that was Buffett's calculated expected return on the investment he proposed to make in LTCM. Why is Bill Gates to blame? Apparently, Warren was vacationing in Alaska at the time of the crisis, on the invitation from Bill Gates. Warren said it was just too difficult at the time to negotiate the deal on a cell phone in the depths of Alaska, so he was not able to make it happen. So these are but a few examples of Warren Buffett's forays into bailing out the financial system. The point I'm trying to make here is not that he's a white knight, but that he, 
like any other motivated investor, invests money to, wait for it, make money. I know, what a concept. With that, I remind you how I started this part of the monologue. To do so, I turned to a financial post piece which pointed this out. Quote, Buffett has stayed relatively quiet amid the turmoil this time around as the pandemic underscores just how tied his businesses are to the U.S. economy, end quote. Throughout the piece, examples are made of some of Berkshire's investments doing very poorly through this pandemic, with Charlie Munger even stating, quote, We've got a few businesses, small ones, we won't reopen when this is over. End quote. But this piece also highlights some of Berkshire's companies which are doing well, possibly even thriving in the midst of this pandemic. The article would have us believe that Warren isn't making any big investment moves right now because he's hurting financially. And yet, the same piece reminds us that while Berkshire's stock portfolio was valued at north of $248 billion at the end of 2009, they are also sitting on $128 billion in cash. Hold on, whoa, sidebar, for those of you keeping some notes here. That's more cash than the value of assets long-term capital management hedge fund was managing back in 1998. Oh, and did I mention that LTCM was the largest hedge fund at its peak? So it's not a lack of liquidity that's holding Warren back. Let's rehash this one more time. Warren Buffett is a motivated investor. We agree on that, right? Then remind me, why does he invest money? That's right, to make money. Taking logical steps forward, if he's playing the role of white knight as he has in the past, his past actions would dictate He's not willing to invest money unless he sees an opportunity to make money. Let's not fool ourselves and expect this white knight to roll up just because he has nothing better to do than give his money away. Nor should he do that. He's doing no one any long-term favors by investing in companies or situations that aren't worth keeping alive. Don't believe that? Then ask yourselves, why did he invest in Bank of America and Goldman Sachs in 2008 and 2009 and not Bear Stearns or AIG, the companies that went under? Anyways, by no means am I one who believes investment strategies should be deployed simply by following someone like Warren Buffett. Remember, this is not investment advice. I'm just making observations. I just find it interesting enough to point out that the white knight is yet to deploy to save the day. The reasons for not deploying yet can be several. I leave it to your intellectual faculties to reason out your own hypothesis. And with that, whilst leaving your brains on a high thinking setting, I think it's best to bow out and end this episode. I know you appreciate the high octane thinking here, so be a friend and share this episode with just one other person who also likes to think and be engaged with the show's content. Let us fellow thinkers and doers unite. Remember, very easy to share the intellectual wealth, 
just send your one person over to www.recoveringbankster.com. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and feel free to leave comments or reviews. These actions help others to take notice and appreciate the awesomeness they are missing out on by not engaging with this show. To connect with me directly, head over to www.adrianinvests.ca and send me a note through there. Until next time, my friends, stay safe, keep your integrity, and see you at the pinnacle. And to close out this episode, a friendly but professional reminder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and shall not be construed to constitute any form of investment or investment advice. The views expressed are those of the host and or guest where applicable and not necessarily those of any businesses associated with Adrian Harasimian. Information has been compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made by any person as to its accuracy, completeness, or correctness. All opinions expressed are as of the date of this podcast episode and are subject to change without notice. The information is prepared for general circulation and has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. You should not act or rely on this information without seeking the advice of the appropriate professional. Products or services referenced may not be suitable for you, and it is recommended that you consult with a financial advisor if you are in doubt about the suitability of such investments or services. Thank you for listening to today's episode.